Hey y'all, this is uh, me, Bud Elliott with Nolcast. I just want to let you know that uh, today's episode uh, was edited by me. Um, and I'm not as good as our producer, Matthew, at editing. And uh, we wish Matthew well. Going through a little, little health issue, I uh, should be fine. But uh, if the quality today of the audio edit is uh, lower, that's why. Because I'm not nearly as good at this as he is. So, Matthew, get well, and we'll see you again on Thursday. Let's get to the show. Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud will do our uh, traditional review of the Notre Dame game, although uh, there's some points that are just going to be redundant, and uh, we might transition a little bit to more of a kind of a mailbag where we still try to hit on the pertinent topics and uh, answer a lot of questions that we've received and at the same time give people an idea as to what happened on Saturday night and what has played out so far this year. So, Again, not going to be necessarily a fun show to do, but uh, look forward to it. Uh, hopefully we can uh, have a good back and forth here and have an honest conversation as to what's transpired so far through the season and, and also what the uh, final two games of the season look like. So uh, win or lose, wildly disappointing season or not, uh, we're fortunate to be able to work with people like Louisiana Hot Sauce, for, uh, fantastic partner for us, uh, while the, the product on the field maybe has – some issues with consistency. Uh, our partner is uh, is very much the model of that a fantastic product, something we authentically use and enjoy, and lucky to be able to have a title sponsor like Louisiana Hot Sauce. And with that, Bud, we'll uh, slide on into this Notre Dame. And, you know, we, we could have just kind of copy-pasted our Notre Dame preview, um, and that's kind of how the game went. But we didn't do that. Uh, because we're not as disrespectful as Notre Dame's defense was to our offensive line at Florida State. Because what what we saw out there was was pitiful, not unexpected, but pitiful. Notre Dame repeatedly lined up with five men in the box, which means you have five offensive linemen, you have five blockers. There are no unaccounted for unblocked defenders. You can't get a more favorable look to run the ball than that unless the team just doesn't put enough players on the field. Notre Dame was basically daring Florida State to run the ball, and they were saying, hey, we don't think you can really hurt us running the ball, despite the fact that you have like the most favorable numbers advantage in the world to run the ball. And they were right. And that's uh, that's a, a commentary on the state of this offense. You know, I, I, I tweeted out that this was the issue right now overwhelming this team and there's a lot of other ancillary issues to talk about and we will but I don't want to just dismiss the number one issue facing this team right now this issue causes you to be unable to score points it puts your defense in almost a desperation mode from the opening snap it 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 neuters you I mean Florida State team total under you know, if you check, if you go to your sports book and, and you know you can wager on just how many points they're going to score, man, that's basically just an automatic win every week, straight up. Because you just know they can't block and sustain; they just can't. They get physically beaten. It's not, you know, I actually think, and, and I was talking to one of our, our writers who is a state championship offensive coordinator and a, a former offensive lineman, and he obviously writes under a different name because he, you know, he's writing in school sometimes and. I don't think his, his district would appreciate him doing that, but he was pointing out that he thought the execution, like literally the assignment, was better this week, that they had improved. 
and we chatted and we liked a lot of the new stuff they had implemented this week. But the thing is, they probably were more assignment sound. They had less blown assignments from a middle standpoint, from a you know uh, attention to detail standpoint, fewer alignment penalties, all that stuff. But man, if you're just getting your butt whipped physically up front, there's not much you can do. And then the defense starts to play really in kind of desperation mode, not playing assignment sound football and uh, trying to play hero ball. And that's that's how you lose by, by 29. You know you have no room for error. And the whole idea of of lethal simplicity, we probably left that uh, weeks if not months ago. But there can be no, like, I don't need to say carefree, but there can be no just uh, comfort and confidence in you being able to go out and execute what you need to do when you know that the most pivotal unit on the field is woefully under-equipped and is going to fail you repeatedly. So um, it's a delicate, or it's not a delicate, it's a... It's a layered conversation that we have to have, Bud, here, where we we cannot circle away f- too far from the one dominant problem, and it and it has ripple effects that uh, make its way throughout every aspect of the team. Um, and at the same time, we can't only blame that. We have to look at some of the other problems that exist uh, within the program and, and things that aren't immediately tied to it. But uh, when your offensive line is horrible and you're running out maybe one of the three worst units uh, at the level of, of football that you play, there's simply no escaping that. And and you're absolutely right. I talked to a, a guy who's in radio, but he's he's got a former background of being a high school offensive coordinator, and he's not just a, a guy who gets behind the mic and jabs about football. He could, simply couldn't get over the fact uh, of, of kind of the interest, industry disrespect that you show someone when you play five in the box. And it wasn't like, oh, well, five, but then they walked to <laughs> no. safety up by the time the ball was snapped or something. No, no, it was pure five. Nobody within six or seven yards of the box, and you can't do anything. Hell, repeatedly, guys, Deal with two, it. both safeties 12 and 14 yards off the box. Uh, at, or, excuse me, off the line of scrimmage. Just look, and, and we don't want to talk about this or make this the, the central theme of every show, but I do want to start the show by saying, hey, the other issues that we're going to talk about tonight are secondary to this issue as far as on-field play. This is by far the biggest thing you got going. Yeah. <laughs> there's a big there's a big dose of the feel good in the uh in the first 5 minutes there. So, uh we've we've addressed that, bud. Uh what else do you want to uh to touch on from the game itself before we go a little bit more macro? Like some of the new stuff they brought out, clearly like the under center thing was something they repped this week in practice to, to catch Notre Dame off guard. I like the wild cam. Um, I am kind of discouraged that the linebacker play is doesn't seem to be improving at all. You know, um, Obviously encouraged that they're trying out their bodies there, but discouraged that it doesn't really seem to be getting better. Those guys do not look real well coached to me. Like Dontavious is playing better this year for sure, so some credit for that. But, like, it doesn't look like, look like like they know how to fit gaps at all. Uh, they're not triggering getting downfield. And we knew this group was bad. We knew the old staff called them the speed bumps behind their back. But but I, I do think these guys have some ability. Um, and, and it doesn't look like, look like they're getting the most out of them right now. So that, to me, is disappointing. Um, just because physically, I... I don't think they're quite as limited as, as, like, the offensive line is, you know. And so, to me... I kind of judge performance relative to what I think your ability is, and and so that to me falls more on coaching. Like they're not 
the defense is not doing its job. And I think a part of it is that they are most likely trying too hard to uh, to to create plays and and and, and to guess. And uh, you know, I think you see it right when when it, when they get stops. A lot of times they're selling out to get those stops, and when they don't get the stop, oftentimes it is a big time uh, big time play in the other direction. So to circle back to something that you said uh, at the beginning, and um, it's not like uh, super insider info, but I, I think we could both say this confidently to the rest of the fan base that had had that uh, an initial introduction of the wild cam or whatever you want to call it in the Virginia Tech game not gone as disastrously horrible as it did, I think that's something that you would have seen with a much greater amount of uh, of repeatedness. It, it would have been, by no means would it would have been like one of the fundamental aspects of your offense, but that's something that they worked on and I think would have been, uh, would have been a, a much larger representation had it not had such a kind of fall-on-its-face introductory uh, I agree first, with you. I, first trial I think that, there. That's a really good point, um, and that's something that they, they'll have to continue to use um, throughout the rest of the year, and, and uh, as, as they try to make a bowl game, which is probably a good transition for us to talk about the first question here that we got from a lot of the readers. Um, a lot of questions about the bowl streak, right? And and I think one of the central ones that we've been sent and is uh, how much do you think this bowl streak is weighing on the staff, and would their decision making with who they play and how they play would it be different if they didn't have a bowl streak to preserve, right? Like if they were at some random program, I mean, like I'm trying to think about who has the longest bowl streaks right now. FSU, Vatek, Georgia hasn't missed one in forever. But if you're at a program like, let's say, Alabama, right, or LSU, or, or a place that's missed a bowl in, you know, in the last decade or two, do you think you, you operate differently here? Do you think this staff is trying too hard to make a bowl game? And do you think that's impacting some of their choices about who they play and how they play? Those are kind of the central questions that we've been getting from readers. Uh, my personal opinion is that it's uh, – it's I think it's certainly in the back of their mind. I, I think it's uh, impossible to come to a school like Florida State and, and not look at that. And, and I think that would be applicable for any coach. What I think is different here is that you've got a – 43-year-old male or from somewhere that's approximation of Willie's age that isn't just some coach. He's a kid who grew up in Bradenton, Florida. He's a kid that if he's if he's not a diehard Florida State fan, he certainly has enough trappings that, you know, would give him some authentic authenticity when he talks about knowledge of the program and familiarity with it. He's somebody that from the time that he was 4 years old, this has happened. It's pretty much something that is uh, almost an acknowledgement of, of college football coming around, is that Florida State is going to go to a bowl slash be above 500. Uh, I think that uh, had this just been, say, you hired the coach from, from Oregon, but he was a coach that grew up in California and went to college on the West Coast and did not have the familiarity with the program and did not know the uh, – uh, just kind of the landscape of the state and, and how much uh, something like this matters to the institution, I think it's very likely that maybe you would have seen some different decisions in the um, impactfulness of missing out on a bowl slash having a losing season um, probably weighs on this staff more than it would I, I, many Yeah, others. I agree. I think the, the readers and listeners who have picked up on this are, are exactly right. Um, and look, if it's me, I think people have picked up on this. I 
I don't care about this stuff that much. So I would say, oh man, we, know, big, we all know you time. love bowl games. But they they, they, in, they in call the me Buzz of... Bowl Game Elliot. That, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I'm more pragmatic about it. I think that I would would try to play more for the future. Um, I think it impacts a lot of your decisions. I know we'll talk about the quarter, quarterback decision in a minute because we had a lot of questions about that. Um, most of this stuff, though, the playing for the future stuff, I, I do have to say that I'm saying this uh, as someone who has the benefit of hindsight bias because I've seen how the season has played out. It would take tremendous stones, and I don't know if it's actually even a smart thing to do, to after the Syracuse game say, hey, guess what, everybody? I know we've only had two home games and only one of them has been against an FBS team. But this year's done. We have no hope of blocking this tremendously difficult schedule. We are going to try to do everything we possibly can to get better for 2019 and 2020. And if that means being even worse uh, than we possibly could imagine in 2018, uh, then so be it. But we had this discussion on this show, and I think we both decided that, at least back then, was probably too early to go just totally all out, right? Um and we thought, okay, once they're, once they're eliminated from, from bowl eligibility, then you do it. But they got some wins, I think, more than we thought they would at the time. And so now we're, we're kind of we're kind of debating this with the benefit of hindsight bias. And yet I still think there's maybe a middle ground where, um, you know, I'd like to see some different guys play more on offense. Like, for instance, let me ask you this. If you're playing for next year, Right, and you're at one of those programs that doesn't have to worry about a, a, a long bowl streak, and, and so where the difference between five and seven and six and six, or four and four, four and eight and six and six is not a big deal. Is Nooney Murray getting snaps still? You know, like is Patrick getting snaps still? I I don't think so, and I don't want to lump those two guys together because work ethic wise and attitude wise they're far different. Um, but I, I do think that. You know, on defense, they're already basically doing a youth movement. Right? We just saw Dennis Briggs play in this last game. You've seen Asante Samuel and A.J. Lighton and you know, Jaden Woodby, obviously, a ton, and Mark, uh, some of Peters, and then also Robert Cooper. I mean, they're they're really young on defense, and they're getting a lot of, a lot of guys in there um, on defense. But on offense, they don't really seem to be, and I think that's, that's a lot of the concern for some people. I think uh, I think that's true. You know, you have to take those on a case by case basis. Is is uh, is George Campbell all of a sudden getting the amount of throws that he is uh, that he did on Saturday night? No. Uh, does Jacques Patrick still probably feature in the offense? Yes, because he's kind of a skill set that you have to have. You have to have a back that theoretically can pick you up two to four yards, uh, and that is kind of the role that that Patrick plays a lot in this offense. Um, I, I certainly get what you're saying, and and I think that uh, we would have seen an even greater greater movement had somebody you know made a decision like that. But again, that's that's uh, it would have taken a whole lot of stones, and I don't know that uh, that many first coaches would have would have had the set on them. First year head coaches, excuse me, uh, at a place like Florida State would have would have had a set necessary to to make a decision like that. And it's a lot of you know, like like we said. Uh, I'm 35 years old. I, I, I've never lived on the planet when Florida State hasn't had a winning season, hasn't gone to a bowl game. It would uh, it would take an awful, awful strong individual to make a decision that early in the year that you're going to stop playing for something that more or less the fan base thinks is uh, is just a, a regular a, a, occurrence. A, like of fact. a birthright, basically. Yeah. Um, 
So the one position we didn't mention because I wanted to break it out uh, separately was the quarterback decision. He obviously really chose to go with DeAndre Francois. And to me, that this was not handled in, in the best way possible. Uh, I don't know if it was an absolute disaster, but I can tell you that there are definitely some guys on the team who have their feelings hurt about this um, and who don't think it was the right decision. I also don't think that you have like a mutiny on your hands. Like if you polled, I don't think I don't think you're going to get like 95% of the people say that you know, that, that that James Blackman should start. Clearly, look, Willie said that he's making this decision based on practice. I was told that DeAndre did have the better better week of practice and is pretty clearly the better better quarterback in practice. It may be a fact that DeAndre is a better quarterback than than James right now. It wouldn't surprise me if that was true. And a lot of people will point to the NC State game in which James did some really nice things, but that's also a secondary that was, you know, pretty poor and, and continues to be pretty poor. Um, but, but I mean, I, I do think that if they're at all close, that that you need to, to to go with Blackman. Now, look, if he wants to redshirt, that's different. I think you could talk Blackman into playing, you know, if you told him, hey, you're the starter and you're going to be the guy we go with for the last game of the year. Because he's such a competitor. I have a very hard time believing that James Blackman literally wants to redshirt. I don't have a hard time believing that James Blackman wants to redshirt if his usage is going to be like in and out with DeAndre. I would just move on from DeAndre, mm-hmm. yeah. personally. Um, he, I didn't like the Instagram posting he did He did last week about the you know everybody wants your job until they have to do it. Taggart's already called him out in the offseason mm-hmm. for, for leadership and being about him and not about his teammates. I, I didn't like that look, you know. Uh, it, it, it's it's a pattern of behavior from him. He seems to kind of show his true colors at times. Um, and I say that acknowledging that I think he has improved as a leader some. There's no way that Taggart would have started him if he hadn't improved as a leader. But I don't think he's necessarily quite the, the emotional guy that Blackman is um, for this team and yet, this is one of the areas, man, I do think that if you were not so concerned about making a bowl game, you would not be starting DeAndre. But I think because they feel a lot of pressure to make a bowl game, uh, and I get this from people who know them and people who, who know who they talk to, that is members of the staff, I think they, they feel like there's a lot of pressure to make a bowl game when instead I believe they should be focusing on 2019 and 2020. Uh, but since they've already gone down this road, It'd probably be a mistake to make a change at this point, right? In your approach, I mean, you're kind of pot committed. Yeah, you, you are. I mean, there's just been some inconsistency in general with this situation, and and to make a change at this point would be uh, yet another example of that. But, mm, I, you know, the the play on the field, I can I can accept where maybe if somebody thinks Francois is a better option, I'm not sure that I would agree with that, but I, I can certainly see that, and I, I could see where. Francois would be a better practice player. Um, my problem with this is that is what you what you referenced earlier in the week. You you had a guy who's uh, one of the more self absorbed individuals that that's played in this program, at least in the modern era, where uh, social media and other tools out like that uh, are out exist that can maybe give people a better idea as to your thoughts or where you value certain things. A lot of the talk of the culture and and improving that. I, I think uh, what happened last week with the with the Instagram post and then the the uh, comments that he made about a choice already being made. Not not only was that disrespectful to a teammate, it's uh, 
throws your coach under a bus in a, a manner that isn't very smart as well. Um, anybody that's listened to this podcast knows that I'm not a uh, uh, an avid DeAndre Francois supporter. Not Wouldn't be my cup of tea uh, if I was a head coach. Wouldn't be my choice. But uh, it very much seems to be the choice that they've made. Even then, I would I would really wonder how many dividends a, an extra year would pay for Blackman or or if he's even your quarterback. But the decision at this point seems to be made that he's going to redshirt. And the only way that I would be okay with this at this point is if it's a if it's purely a by request of the kid. And I personally don't think that's what's transpired. So uh, pretty pretty critical overall as to how this was handled. And I think that. Uh, he also spent some, you know, like uh, when you're a p- politician or a political candidate, you talk about political capital and what you have the ability to do and goodwill. And I think Willie has spent more of that this year with the fan base than anybody could have uh, projected coming in and that this was a, a pretty big expenditure of that with uh, the way this whole situation's handled and DeAndre Francois uh, and, remaining And unnecessarily so, right? Like I think some of the political capital... Yeah, like some of the political capital he's expended, he kind of needed to to protect some of his guys on the team, I think, and avoid losing the team. Uh, but this doesn't really seem necessary. I, I think that if you if he did tell DeAndre, hey, you're like you're the guy, you know, that has to be followed up with. But keep your mouth shut. Don't post anything stupid on Instagram, right? And go out there and bust your butt in practice this week, and then I'll name you the starter on Friday. Because, look, you do want to reinforce good practice habits. It's a really bad idea, for the most part, to start somebody who gets outplayed in practice, as I heard Blackman did and has throughout the year. Francois does know the offense better. I think Blackman probably would have been worse against Notre Dame than than Francois was. Um, You know, like, why did George Campbell get to play a lot? Well, he probably had a a great week of practice, right? Like, it is really important. To, to reward people who practice hard and practice well with playing time. The idea of this guy's just a gamer is not really a thing in college. In the pros, a little bit because you're so proven. You know, maybe once in a while in college you can have something like that, but in the pros it makes a little more sense because it's like, all right, this guy, you know, he'll take a couple mental reps. He's good. You know, he's played the game for eight years. The, the only thing we need to do is just keep him fresh. Um, but... It just goes back to me, like, I don't know how important winning these games are. Um, Kells, actually, hey, shout out to female listeners. We, we don't have good demographic numbers on the male-female breakdown of our audience, but uh, we know we do get some emails and whatnot from uh, from folks, so pretty cool here. Um, More than yeah. I ever would have imagined. It's, you know, we sold, uh, at, we, we, we sold out of the, so, of the ladies' you. shirts uh, just about as quick as we did the men. so there you go. Um Assuming this was the reason Francois started against Notre Dame, how likely is it that a Blackman redshirt will affect Howell's recruitment? Couldn't three more years of eligibility for Blackman cause Sam to look elsewhere? Thanks for telling it like it is, even in a season like this one. So this is a really complex question, um, and, and one that I think is, is a, kind of a, a cool one. Let me ask you what would affect Howell's recruitment more. Blackman redshirting and having more years of eligibility? Or what if Blackman came in through some miracle of God, lit up Notre Dame and BC and Florida, right? And then, what would, what would impact Howell's, Howell's recruitment more? Redshirting 
or a guy submitting what looks like, like, hey, I'm going to be the starter for the next couple of years because I played so well down the stretch? Because I think I know what my answer would be. Yeah, I, I certainly think I know what your answer would be, and I, and I would agree with you. I would say that there's 0%, well, not zero, but the odds of them doing this as a recruiting yeah, advantage yeah. are probably less than two. <laughs> Uh, but I think that what you said is absolutely right. And uh, uh, James Blackman goes out and throws for 421 yards and, and four touchdowns on a Sunday night or a Saturday night against Notre Dame. Yeah, that's that's going to plant the seed. And if any kind of follow up success was had there, then yeah, that could, that could potentially impact a, a quarterback's decision. But if you're going to tell me a quarterback's making a decision based on depth and the number of people on the roster, uh, there aren't going to be too many more favorable pictures painted than the one that exactly. exists in Tallahassee um, right now. All right. Uh, Larry asks, why can't we throw the ball to Tamari and Terry? So we got Larry asking about Terry. Um, I didn't remember that's how the game went. So I went back and looked. Um, so Terry actually had 12 targets, uh, which was the most of anybody on the team. Um, DJ Matthews had 10. Nobody else had like more than eight. So in looking at this, uh, I don't know exactly where the idea that we we didn't throw the ball to Terry um, came from. Now, I do think that there's this idea we didn't throw the ball down the field to Terry. Uh, And that's largely true. Uh, Notre Dame was very smart to take away deep throws in this game, mostly because I think they saw how good FSU did it in the prior game. There really weren't many deep shots available in this one. and Florida State was completely unable to get uh, to get Notre Dame um, to come out of their their shell looks for the most part. And in fact, we criticized NC State for 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 their um, can we say dumbassery on this show uh, of of not just sticking with, with that plan throughout uh, against Florida State and instead challenging. I was like, why would you do that? Just stay back. This team is not going to be able to handle you up front. Um, so yeah, Notre Dame largely took that away by formation and scheme. Florida State was not able to make them pay by doing other things, but they did target Terry 12 times, and he had several drops. So I'm don't. i not really on board with the narrative uh, that they didn't throw the ball to Terry, uh, I guess. Yeah, I think Terry's uh, he's going he's gonna to have, have his fair share thrown his way moving forward, and Terry's quickly become – a fairly known entity, uh, and obviously when you when you have games like you had against NC State and others, that'll happen, but uh, the word's starting to get out on Terry, and I, I fully expect him to be uh, a featured part of the offense uh, this year and everything for as long as he's on campus, so I'll, you know, what, uh, 14 games or however many that we have left with him in all likelihood. So uh, enjoy it. I think uh, a lot of balls will be thrown his way, and I think a lot of time uh, in defensive coaching rooms will be spent on. Uh, He's probably to a 100 well. target guy next year if he stays if he stays healthy. I mean, realistically, Agree. That, that that's going to yeah. be a situation Agree. where you're gonna you're gonna try to just take. Uh, remember the old Randy ratio when the Minnesota Vikings for, for our younger yeah. listeners. <laughs> Back in the day, uh, the Vikings decided they were going to have this thing called the Randy Ratio with Randy Moss. And it was a great idea, because it was not a great idea to tell the world that you were going to do it. Uh, but they are basically like, we are totally committed to throwing the like eight deep passes a game or some nonsense to Randy Moss. And so other defenses are like, all right, thank you. We will uh, we'll keep count of that. 
uh, here. So we got one, two. He's like, oh, well, not enough passes to Randy right now. So we're going to have to, uh, you know, like, let's, let's make sure we adjust over there. So, um, but yeah, I think they'll throw the ball a lot to Terry um, going forward and did in this game, did last game. Uh, here's a question we forgot to write down who asked this, but uh, um, uh, where, where are we at here? Okay. To, uh, Tom says, uh, would be likely to stay at, at his position if FSU gets some better linebackers. And if he has moved to more of a traditional safety role, will this year out of position have stunned his develop, de- development greatly? Uh, I, I don't think that he's necessarily all that out of position for what his skill set is. Uh, but I do think that, you know, obviously maybe he's not physically 100% ready to play that role. Um, his main thing right now, like he needs another year in the weight room for sure, strength-wise. But I think his main thing, and maybe you'll disagree with me, is uh, is he's clearly not healthy, man. Like that that shoulder's bothering him. You you, you can tell he he's he's not 100%. Because when he is, he moves differently. No, I'm. Yeah, and it's been a been an issue since the Virginia Tech game for him. Uh, it's he's played through it. He's made some really pretty impressive plays, even uh, even with the injury. But it it's not not. And look, he's a true freshman who's playing, so it's not like we have all this uh, mental idea of of what Woodby looks like when he's one hundred percent healthy. But uh, this isn't it, and uh, I don't think that there's too many like detrimental aspects of him getting on the field this year. It's, it's uh, defensive, I guess as a corner, maybe you can get burned, you can lose your confidence, you can uh, have some, you know, detrimental uh, aspects that are hard to shake off. But for the most part, getting in there, getting comfortable, the speed of the game, getting used to it is, is only going to help you. And I fully expect that kid to be a wild, wildly impactful player. Yeah, the I, rest I, of I his time agree with that. Uh, Tom also asks, uh, uh, if reports sound good uh, this coming offseason, how cautious will you be with your optimism? Will it be all believe it when I see it? Um, no, not necessarily. I, I, I feel like the people who told us stuff about this team, for the most part, were right. Um, we just happen to have a lot of the worst-case scenarios go down at the spots they could least afford it to happen. Um, most notably, offensive line. You know, if they stay reasonably healthy offensive line, I think they're already bowl eligible. You know, I, I think they would be six and four, not, uh, you know, four and six like they are. That's, I mean, people don't want to hear it, but that's kind of the main thing. Like if you, somebody asked me, hey, if you gave FSU Alabama's offensive line, what do you think their record would be? So I, I guess I'll surprise you with this question because it wasn't on the sheet. But I, I, I think I know what I would pick. I saw it saw it on Twitter today and I gave it some thought myself. Um, I'd have them as, probably having some. Yeah, I two think between one and two. Point. Like I don't think there's any chance they lose to Vatek or Syracuse um, or Miami or I don't. Th- I don't think they beat Clemson, that's, and I'm not sure. Yeah, they that, win that's the Saturday two. I, I think Clemson still beats them because the difference between Trevor and what you have at quarterback is just enormous. Also, Clemson's defense is still a hell of a lot better than your own. I mean, they're they're, they're freakish level. They they look really good, man. Um, with Notre Dame, it would be different because Notre Dame would have to play you so differently, you know. Um, and I think your defense could play with greater patience and not like panic mode from snap number one. Against Notre Dame, mm-hmm. 
I would probably pick Notre Dame with Ian Book to beat Florida State, but if if FSU had had Bama's offensive line, I might I might take him to beat Wimbush. Um, it would be close. It, it's probably a toss up up there. Uh, see, I, I guess it would depend on on you know who's saying what and uh, you know what kind of track record the person has, but um, you know I. I do feel like we try to tell people like best case, worst case, and I have noticed a trend a lot of times in listeners. I think it's just a thing of fandom, but a lot of times people do kind of tend to want to only hear the best case side. You know, they don't want to hear, "Hey, if you lose an offensive lineman or two at the wrong spots, this season could turn out into a disaster." You know, um, like having a hard like, time making a bowl. I think, we, sa- I think we said starts. Yeah, which are the exact words that were used on the preview series. So um, I, th- I also think it's the time of the year. You know, there, there's a time of the year where people only want to hear the optimism. They only want to consume uh, the most positive and kind of project in their mind as to what that might look like. And then there's also times where, say, an instant reaction podcast where people are just ready to bathe in the bathe in the negative. Uh, so a little bit dependent upon when and, and where the message is delivered. Uh, Bud, the the next question that we uh, had posed to us was, uh, we keep hearing Willie Taggart say that we are poor at execution, assignments, and tackling. What is that an indication of? Bad coaching, ineffective coaching, bad players, selfish players. What are ways these things can be corrected, and are they doing them? And one more wrinkle to that question. If they are doing the needed things to correct them, but it isn't working, what does that mean? So I think this varies by position, right? Like I think that they looked better on the offensive line as far as technique wise and knowing who to block wise. uh, And they've shown some improvement in that area uh, as, as this season has gone on amazingly. Um, Part of that's probably just working more in the new system. You know, it's, it's year one Uh, assignments, it depends on what you're being asked to do and how well you're being taught. Uh, you know, like I don't, the linebackers to me don't look all that well coached right now. Now I say that, and I think I said this earlier in the show, so I guess I already kind of answered part of this question, but you know, with, with the defense, um, you know, like the, the corners right now, you're, you're, you're running some true freshmen out there pretty consistently. And people are like, oh, I don't really turn around and, and pick the ball off. They're, they're taught to play through the hands. And sometimes they're doing that pretty well. And other times, man, they've really been kind of the victim of some ridiculous catches at, at, at times this year. Um, the one game that really disappointed me was was the NC State game with, with, with the lack of physicality and the lack of run fits. Um, I don't think this defense is that hard to execute as far as the run fits for the linebackers. Uh, and so that is, I mean, just based on my understanding of college football and, and their schemes, um, that that is concerning to me. I, I think that's something Willie Taggart's going to have to take a look at in the offseason. Um, as far as, you know, I think you want to see some improvement, right, in certain areas. Like, we've seen less alignment penalties as the season has gone. We've unfortunately seen an uptick in personal foul penalties by the defense. Uh, so, as one thing is going in one direction, the other is is not. Although I guess they were more penalty free against Notre Dame. Um, but I like the question that offered all these different options because I really think it is all these different options. Bad coaching, yeah, some I think so, or ineffective coaching. You kind of list both, but same 
in some ways. Bad players? Yeah, some, offensive line-wise. I think there's a lot of guys there who just don't have the talent to play at this level. Uh, selfish players? Yes, absolutely some, especially with, with, with those um, you know, sort of selfish penalties. So um, it's, it's a combination of things. I think that answer was uh, was plenty good enough. No reason to uh, circle back to anything else uh, from my perspective. But uh, this is a question that we can attribute to numerous people and was perhaps the most uh, frequent one posed to us tonight. Would missing a bowl game help due to the increased window of time that you could devote towards recruiting? Well, it would help recruiting slightly, but you also have to weigh that against the value of like you said, political capital, if you miss a bowl game. Uh, and, oh, my God, by the way, an NFL kicker just kicked the ball out of bounds on a kickoff. That's that's pretty rare. You don't see that a whole lot uh, if there's not some kind of wild wind. But anyway, um, you gotta weigh, you got to weigh the value of recruiting. It would give you a little bit more time to recruit. Um, but I, I think the staff would rather make a bowl game, especially after all the effort they've expended in trying to make a bowl game. I think they would absolutely rather make a bowl game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they would want to have the practices too, for sure, um, because those are 15 more practices you can get to, to kind of work on understanding of a uh, um, of a new system. But understanding a new system is uh, fortunately not something that we've ever had to do when it comes to sponsor. We've had one uh, sponsor consistent with us for, from the first day that we uh, – push the record button on the Nolcast, and that is the good people at For Their Table Restaurant Group and Madison Social. Uh, Want to go ahead and put it on our Tallahassee listeners' calendar uh, to always mark your uh, your calendar for the 17th of the month, our upcoming Reuben Day. That will be uh, ever so extra special, uh, being that uh, weren't able to offer it last month with the uh, impact of Hurricane Michael, and always want to remind people of the social agreement uh, two burgers, an order of wings to share, two beers, two bourbons, $20 a piece uh, for two. Uh, look, if you get out of class early, if you're meeting up with some friends, uh, social agreement is uh, unrivaled when it comes to a uh, a nice way to relax and have a little bit of this, that, and the other. Uh, for the Table Restaurant Group, consistent in their level of quality uh, throughout all their options and uh, been with us through day one and would be impossible for us to... Uh, partner with better Absolutely. people than Matt a, and his a, team. a great sponsorship from them and, uh, and a great partner. We very much appreciate them uh, sticking with us. Uh, well, people are listening, though. We're, we're very very excited about, about, about the listener numbers. They, they definitely want to know what is going wrong with their Knowles. And, uh, you know, for the most part, people are not tuning out. We've, we've added some new listeners. So very much appreciate Matt's Social and the For the Table Restaurant group this year. Uh, Brett asks, would like your thoughts on the following scenario. Assuming FSU doesn't go bowling, would you rather Miami finish out 5-7, and seven, losing to Vatek and Pitt, and miss a bowl, or would you rather Vatek lose their remaining two games against Miami and UVA and miss a bowl? I think the Miami scenario would be more beneficial to FSU for recruiting purposes, given that Richt is in year three and Willie is in year one. But it would be nice to shut up Vatek claiming the longest active bowl streak for good. Love the pod. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Brett. Uh, you want to go first on this? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, uh, Virginia Tech's a nice program, and, and they uh, beat Florida State this year, and so I'm not trying to be disrespectful when I say this, but I have zero concern for anything that Virginia Tech does on the football scene or 
or what they may claim. And yes, that's obnoxious, and they're uh, obnoxious in their social media uh, banter about it at times. But uh, let let Miami have as much misery as possible, and I'm not too concerned with what happens up in uh, the western I, part of Virginia. You stole my answer, dude. That was literally what I was going to say. I don't give a damn about Vitek. You know who is number three on the bowl list, right? I think it's Georgia. Who is that? Yeah, um, it wouldn't because Ohio wouldn't State missed me. one due to the ineligibility. Michigan, uh, after the like in one of the Rich Rod years, um, um, missed one, and I think Brady Hoke missed one too. Texas obviously missed one under Charlie. Oklahoma has Oklahoma missed one? Probably like ninety seven or ninety eight. They missed one. I don't think Georgia's missed one since like the early nineties. I would guess. Hmm. I, I, I think. Um, Interesting. I mean, I can. I was actually having a conversation with somebody about that this weekend. And by the way, Vatek social media is terrible. They are like the like the thirstiest, most oh, ridiculous yeah. social media team out there. Um, like you think Florida State's social media team is bad? Well, uh, yeah. <clears throat> In some ways, <clears throat> I agree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, in a different way. Um. Georgia last missed one in 1996. So I think they have okay. the third longest streak, and Oklahoma would be, would be very close there. Uh, we'll talk about that social media stuff at a later date because there's some nuance to that that I, I, I think needs a little longer to explain than, than what we have tonight. But there's a very, there's a very like, like pro, pro sports feel to that going on right now. And if you only follow FSU's social media team, you would think like what they're doing is really weird. And in fact, they're it's very normal in the the field of social media today, as far as like teams how they're running their accounts, right? Like they, uh, that's just kind of the cues they take. You know, it, when you watch the Arizona Cardinals just get destroyed every single Sunday, it's like when they get a first down, it's like. First down, whoever the heck their receiver is, like a graphic of that dude doing like a you know um, like a first down right. sign. Yeah, so these these teams, social media teams, they are never going to be negative. They are never going to be honest. It is all BS all the time. They are just there to lie to you and or do PR. Period. And they're just there to celebrate. I'm fine. Give me PR. Give me PR. Lie to me. Celebrate when. Don't applicable. respond to the negative uh, fans. Don't. Are, yeah. Don't remove the mask. Have a personal uh, account outside of the team account and give people a platform and respond to people that, quite honestly, aren't worth responding to. That's something to. that I wouldn't so, tolerate at Tom uh, Nation, much sp- less a huge organization like Florida State. So, yeah. Uh, right. But yeah. as far as like the people are like, why are you tweeting this? I can't believe you're tweeting. Like, like they're down three touchdowns. Right. Yeah. I can't believe you Guys, tweeted out the score over. in the fourth like they're, quarter. They're what paid do do? Yeah, to do this what, work, and they have to is. justify their paychecks. Seriously, like, can you imagine? <laughs> like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't tweeted in three it's weeks. Like, I make, have I make seen, fifty grand, and I get state on? retirement. Uh, yeah. Guess what? I'm tweeting my butt off because that, that's my job, man. You know, like that's that's important for me to do, and I, like, like they have to quote unquote, you know, do something to get paid. And so they're going to keep tweeting in good seasons or bad seasons, all these like celebration gifts and like Noel's gifts. So it, I do wonder like how long is this going to take people to realize like that this is not like a they're not blind to the issues, guys. I guarantee you they know this team sucks too. 
They're not like, oh my god, I can't. Believe. What you guys are crazy. This team's awesome. No, it's not like that at all. They just they have to do it. It's it's their job. Um, and if they tone it down, then they're probably not doing their job. They're they're there to promote the team, and only promote the team. By the way, with this question, um, somebody had asked me, hey, why did, why did, when Willie loses, do you think his teams tend to get blown out? And I said, well, I think a lot of that is because he plays to win. I know we had this discussion this morning, but it, it makes a lot of sense, right? In playing to win, you're try, you, you are increasing your chance of winning. But when it doesn't work, you will lose by more. The thing is, I want to win as much as possible. I don't care about losing close or losing big. There's a lot of things you can do, like kicking short field goals and punting on the opponent's side of the field, that will keep the score close while at the same time drastically lowering your chance to win the game, right? Like we've seen somebody, I don't know who used to coach here, do this a lot. It's like, oh man, they lost another close game. It's like, yeah, because they played to keep it close instead of playing to win the game. Anyway, Mark Rick did this nonsense against Georgia Tech, and it really bit him. Did you catch this? 16 minutes and 10 seconds Mm -hmm. left. Fourth and four at the Georgia Tech 46. Georgia Tech, by the way, is really like the the team you don't want to do this against because you're down 13 points. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to see the ball There were 16 minutes minutes. and 10 seconds left left in that game when when Miami forewent the opportunity to go for it on fourth down and four from the 46. Do you know how many times Miami got the ball in the last 16 minutes of the game? One time. They got one possession. That's that's what I would guess. And guess what? They were perfect on it. They scored in a reasonable amount of time. Uh Are there 20-point plays in football? This is absolutely just – this is like whoever Mark Rick's seventh-grade teacher was in math has got to be ripping her hair out and assuming (laughs) she's she's still alive, which I kind of doubt now because he's older. But, dude, this is horrendous math. How in the world would – this is like the stuff I used to complain about with Jimbo, but on steroids. Like you're against an option team that that milks clock a ton. Who who you've played for the last uh, nine years? How I long mean, has Paul Johnson it's been? It's not like you're Mark's like, oh, played man. every single year. I right, and didn't didn't Paul start? Did he start in, there in 08 or so 07? maybe ten years? I think he started in oh uh, seven. You're right. Uh, no, oh eight. I guess. Um, so it was 07 Chan yeah, Gailey's yeah, last year? Maybe, maybe Paul was still right, Navy right, in 07. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So I think I originally said 10 years. I was, I so this is actually the, the 11th then. Uh, okay. <laughs> so you know that. You Dude, know you're not getting the ball that's back. That's bad. That's, uh, that's, that's horrendous. Man. Um, that was ridiculous. Also... I yes. hate that we lost to them, obviously. But you know, you know how much more joy we could take out of this season to what's happening to them right now. If, if we had but one extra W, it would uh, it really it make things better, would, right man. Now. Would would really really make things better. That's painful. That's that that is yeah, that is really a tough. Um, it's by the way, let's check in on Oregon, shall we? I used to have a lot of Oregon fans emailing me at the beginning of this season. Um, I wonder how Oregon's doing now. 
Let's see here. They have a guy who might be the number one overall pick in the draft at quarterback, by the way. Oh, ooh, hmm. Well, uh, recently they lost by 30 points to Arizona. That is an Arizona team that I think is still not bowl eligible. Uh, so imagine losing by 30 to a team that's not going to make a bowl. Uh, they lost by two touchdowns to Washington State. They uh, beat Cal. Oh, over the weekend, they went to Utah and they lost to Utah, who was missing their starting quarterback and starting running back. Ooh. Yeah. It's a tough loss. Uh, they also lost to Stanford at home, which is now looking like a pretty bad Stanford team. So that's uh, one, two, three, four. They're sitting there with four losses uh, and maybe the number one pick in the draft at quarterback. How many games did Willie lose last year there? And, they, and they, they said he was a terrible coach at Oregon, despite the fact that that quarterback was out for a lot of the year last year? Let's take a look. Justin Herbert. Because that kid's really good. And I'm sure there's some other issues going on with the Oregon team right now. But uh, it is kind of curious that a lot of the emails from Oregon fans have tended to slow down uh, in recent weeks. I've noticed like the, mm -hmm. the internet in, in the state of Oregon must be out uh, in, in October, or at least since Halloween. Um, yeah, so last year he missed five games and Oregon lost four of them. Um they only lost. Uh, they lost one time, one time with him at quarterback last year when Willie was coaching. This year they've already lost uh, four times. Hmm. So maybe, maybe the guy's not a terrible coach. I don't know. Um. Anyway, just just kind of, or maybe Mario Cristobal is not the second coming. We got some more time here, but first we should probably check in and uh, remind folks that Resolution Home Loans, that's Resolution Home Loans, is your spot to get a great mortgage. Chad and Shannon are awesome Knowles, Knoll-owned business right here. They want to help you out. They want to walk you through the process, but they want to get it done quickly. With their Almost Home program, they can do it, get you a great rate, and a lot of people are looking to unload their houses as, as the year ends. They don't want to be owning that thing for tax purposes come 2019. You're seeing some prices drop. Maybe people a little, little worried that they missed their window to sell. And uh, guess what? That can be to your benefit. They they, they, they want to be able to close you before Christmas. I think they can make it happen with their almost home programs. So if you're in the market for a home loan, be sure to check them out. We've already had, I think, 10 NOLCAST listeners in, in about as many months get mortgages through, through resolution. How do you do it? 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Or simply, simply uh, dial up. Or not dial up. Gosh, hope you have internet now. Uh, maybe you know DSL or cable. FSUHomeLoans.com. That's FSUHomeLoans.com. So we'll uh, we'll and we got a lot of good questions here tonight. Um, if you're listening on Fox Sports Southwest Florida, know that our show does continue online. Please subscribe to us on either Google Podcast or Apple Podcast, whichever kind of phone you have, iTunes or Android. We very much appreciate you listening, and the show now continues in the podcast version. Bud Josue asks, watching Georgia, Bama, and even UF, I noticed their players were much bigger than ours. Then I went to our website to see who is our new strength and conditioning coach, and to my surprise, no one is listed. Is this an issue? Vic was a train wreck, but who's leading our weight room? 
Also, is Alonzo Hampton gone after the season, or will he be moved uh, okay, into a so, recruiting role? Um, I think it is an issue, uh, but the issue is that nobody's listed on the website. Uh, they do have a strength conditioning coach. I think, yeah, I think their strength. They most certainly yeah, do. I think big, their strength conditioning program uh, improved over last year. It's hard for me to judge this in some ways because of the fact that, like, I don't think guys last year were actually going to the strength conditioning program. So, like, any workout that you actually do is better than any workout that you don't do, right? Um, I talked to people at Oregon and to people at USF, and they both had really good things to say about Coach O as far as him transforming guys. Um, and I do think this team attacked the offseason with with better buy-in for sure. So I I don't think the like the year of strength conditioning is is bad. You know, they, they got Robert Cooper's weight down some. They kept Marvin Wilson's weight in check uh, after he came, you know, came off of the uh, of the surgery. You know, certain guys did get bigger in the off, you know, off season. Brady Scott looks bigger for one. Um, I, I I don't think the strength conditioning is necessarily a problem. I do think that uh, certainly like last year, and some people will tell you the year before, but I don't know if they actually buy in on that. But definitely last year, you had a lot of guys not lifting like they needed to be. Um, and I think they have a little bit, like we've used this term throughout the year, of the developmental deficit. Uh, but this is going to be a really important offseason, man. He's, he's got to get these guys stronger. Um, part of the reason, too, that you're seeing these other teams look bigger than Florida State is simply because like a lot of that, that difference looks like it's on the offensive line, right? Like I don't think Florida State's receivers look tiny. I mean, mm-hmm. Keith Gavin and Tamari and Terry look look like like NFL guys. Um, and I don't think their D-line looks all that tiny or um, you know, their linebackers necessarily. But certainly at, at corner, I mean, you have a lot of true freshmen running out there. But the offensive line, again, not to make this entire show just about the offensive line, but almost all the guys starting are backups, right? And so they are going to look smaller. You know, uh, look at Juwan Williams. He's missed, uh, you know, large swaths of multiple seasons with, with, with that shoulder and knee injury. Um, so he, he has not had a chance to lift weights and get bigger. It's a lot of stuff like that, I think, but they do need to, uh, they do need to continue to get stronger for sure. That That's something that um, I know for a fact that there are some guys on this, on this team, on this staff who have, have said that this is one of the weakest, softest, like physically and like mentally embarrassingly soft uh, teams they've ever coached, like they they've they've said that mm-hmm. to other guys who are in the coaching profession who I happen to know. And I don't think these guys on staff know that I know these dudes. Um, but at some point they're going to have to own that as their own problem. Now year one, I don't put that on. Year two, year three, a lot bigger share of that goes on them. So they need to get, they need to get that fixed. Yeah, that's what they're brought in here to do. <clears throat> Certainly, uh, there's no. You know, a lot of the strength and conditioning is is great, and um, and a lot of things that people had heard about the program as far as uh, lack of accountability, and you know, we're we're very well represented in in some of the things with the weight room. There's also just pieces that you either get or you don't. You know, there, there's not a, uh, I guess Janorius Robinson's a pretty freakish looking uh, player, but there's not like there's not a Christian Jones, there's not a James Wilder Jr. Uh, on the roster, and so I think a lot of times people will just uh, when you when you don't have that kind of super freak of an athlete, uh, start to wonder as to whether or not the the strength and conditioning coach is doing his job. Uh, it's something that it does take 
two seasons. I'd say the biggest concern of mine whenever you're doing a, a transition of strength and conditioning coaches from one to the other, one philosophy to the other, is, is injuries, particularly in the first year, the first summer. And uh, we did not see that, and I think that's a, a good sign. So uh, Florida State has a very capable strength and conditioning coach who's been successful at m- numerous other stops. Uh, I, that is of the many concerns that I have with this program right now. Now, I do think they would like to hire more strength and conditioning people, but I don't, I don't think they have the money to do that. You know, Florida State's kind of more of a uh, – not compared to, like, the field of 130 college football teams, but if you look at, like, a top 32, like maybe ML, like Major League Baseball – yeah. They're more they're more like Oakland A's wise than they are New York Yankees as far as funding. So they got it's not like they can't compete, but they gotta be smart with their money. So um yeah. Speaking of that, bud Man, Florida State and Notre Dame need to play each other like every year or every other year or something like that. Like the the ACC needs to uh to deal with with hurting people's feelings and just tell them if we're going to start splitting checks, we need to have the most, the biggest TV games possible. And I I realize this is a real fan thing to say and that there's a whole litany of problems that would come with this. But when you're the ACC and and you're playing catch up and you have a TV product like that, that you can put out there when you, with your two biggest brands, uh, I would just, think that maybe that's something that you could do with a little bit more uh, repetitive, uh, just a, a higher level of uh, repeat. Yeah, I actually think you're right. That's that's a good point um, that I I hadn't really thought about. But man, yeah, nobody nobody's trying to watch Notre Dame Wake. I don't I don't need yeah, Notre hey, Dame Jinx, going Jinx. to Wake. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, uh, yeah. I need I need Florida State Notre Dame play. I need Florida State playing Clemson. Uh, it's if we're gonna have this agreement with Notre Dame that they play a set number of games a year. Uh, and we're we're trying to play catch up to the TV dollar. I'm not I'm not sure Wake gets Notre Dame, but maybe once every you know 16 years yeah, or I, something I, like I that. Yeah, I totally agree. So, um, all right, let's do uh, one or two more, I guess, and uh, then we'll, we'll we'll call it a night. Uh, Calvin says, uh, "Hey guys, I love your show. Uh, I know all season long there's been talk about Taggart inheriting a bad team, toxic culture, etc. But in Knoxville, Tennessee." Has a first-time head coach, far less talent than Florida State recruiting and development, he says. Played a harder schedule in Florida State with a roster that was winless in conference a year ago, and yet they look respectable, especially in their loss to Georgia. Uh, this year, with big wins versus Auburn versus Re- and ranked Kentucky team, uh, what's going on? If SU hadn't come close to looking that competitive versus easier opponents with experienced staff. Uh, both schools adjusting new schemes. Tennessee had line problems, too. How does anybody explain this? So I, I, I do wonder if his premise is actually true. Um, so I looked it up, uh, Tennessee so far blown out by West Virginia by four scores, Florida by four scores, Georgia by four scores and Alabama by six scores. So it does appear that both teams have been blown out, uh, quite consistently by the best teams they've played. They've not beaten, um, good teams. Uh, Tennessee has five wins. Florida state has four and, uh, Tennessee's wins. East Tennessee State, UTEP, Charlotte, which they only won 14-3 to over Charlotte, but Florida State had a close call against Sanford, so let's call that a draw. Uh, although I think I think Sanford could beat Charlotte. Um, it did punk a Kentucky team that, that has a really nice record, although the Kentucky team has been playing you know more poorly recently, but I, I think they deserve credit for that. 
And they got a really lucky win against Auburn. You know, their I think their postgame win expectancy in that game was 22%, which means you got a bunch of bounces and were not the better team that day and did not outplay the team. So the main difference I see is that they've both been blown out by the good teams they've played. Um, Auburn has a lucky win that went their way where Florida State really does not. Or excuse me, Tennessee has, has a win that went their way where Tennessee does not. Um, try that one more time. Tennessee has a lucky win that went their way where Florida State does not. This would be like if Florida State won the Miami game, right? Like they didn't they didn't deserve to win it, mm-hmm. but if right. they had gotten more bounces to go their way or maybe a correct call, if the ACC didn't screw them on, on that call, maybe they were able to win that thing. Um, also, I don't know that Tennessee has faced a harder schedule in terms of making a bowl. I think they have more guaranteed wins on their schedule than, than Florida State does. You know? Um, looking at it, like... They get Vanderbilt to, to, to close the year. South Carolina has basically lost every single team they've played that has a pulse. Um, they got three automatic wins in um, Charlotte, East Tennessee State, and uh, uh, UTEP. UTEP being arguably the worst team in, in, in D1. I think they've probably played one more like elite-tier team. But I don't think that there's like a, a, I don't know, like if you had to make a bowl, would you rather have Tennessee schedule or Florida State schedule? Uh, probably rather Tennessee schedule. I mean, I know you you have your Georgias and your Alabamas. But those are losses the, regardless, right? You see what I'm you saying? Made a, right. Yeah. You don't you don't catch two losses for for what those two teams do to you. So, yeah, I'd rather, I I'd rather have Tennessee I, mean, I don't schedule. think it's like a huge gap. Um and look, I guarantee you that Florida State would rather have Tennessee's offensive line. I, to, the, to say that they've both had offensive line problems, I don't think is is a fair assessment of the situation. I don't see anybody lining up with mm-hmm. five men yep. in the box and punking Tennessee up front. All right? I don't see Tennessee playing a defensive <laughs> tackle at... No, I mean, Tennessee, Tennessee has one or two linemen that are so freaking light years ahead. Anything that we have, it's not, it's not a... While it's an accurate statement, it's not. I was a going down to Notre Dame's roster uh, not last night, but two nights ago, and thinking, because which of these kids that I've recently seen at the opening that Notre Dame has that are backups would I take? And I think there's at least three Notre Dame backups right now on the offensive line, maybe four, who I'm pretty confident would start from Florida State like immediately. You know, like it, it's it's really not not close. Um, so if you're a Notre Dame defender, you got to be thinking, man. Like those second teamers I face in practice every day are so much better than, than what Florida State has as starters. So, um, by the way, even professional teams make mistakes on special teams. Apparently, I'm just watching this this Monday Night Football game, and uh, this guy just totally trucked the punt returner well before the ball even got to him. So, all right, San Francisco, this is a this one of those games as executives jumping off the top of buildings for ESPN, man. Because like before. You know, before the season, Garoppolo didn't tear his ACL yet, and they're thinking, all right, this can be a cool one, you know, New York-San Fran matchup, and now it's mm-hmm. some guy I've never heard of playing quarterback. You know, uh, you want to end on uh, – um, let me see here. Andy asks we'll, – we'll skip the one from Ryan. Um, I think we. I think that's more evergreen. We can, we can answer it the next show. Here's the last one. How many sponsors would it need? Would you guys need to do a Facebook Live broadcast during the game so I could mute the ESPN slash NBC announcers? Also, it would be helpful because I have to watch the game with too many casual fans, and I have to constantly explain what's going on. 
you know what? If you would if you would sign up to listen to us during a game, like literally we broadcast the game and commentate on it live. Let us know. Like seriously. Send us an email because we would charge for it. It would, it would be a Patreon thing, I think. I, I, I'd, I'd want to know because I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind doing yeah. that live. You it's a know, great idea. Um, obviously, like there's some stuff we'd miss live that we will catch on on the on the rewatch. But uh, yeah, I, I think look, we certainly know this team a hell of a lot better than, than the announcers do. If you if you guys want us to, uh, to to try something like that, it wouldn't be something we would do every Saturday or anything, but. Maybe we would have a, uh, um, maybe we'd have, have a little game watch thing or something together. That'd be interesting. So yeah, just let us know, and uh, and, and we'll talk about that. That'd be, that'd be kind of cool, especially just something different to do with the way this year's going. Although I, I don't know if I'll have time to put it together uh, for this year. Maybe, maybe next year it would uh, would be good, or or maybe a test run during a spring game or something like that. Yeah, it's a great Thank idea. You, great so, idea, Andy. You get in free if we decide to do that. So, <laughs> all right. Oh, and if y'all have suggestions for which, uh, not that you would have any reason to know this, but if you find that a certain website has a really good software, maybe, um, for live broadcasting for a fee that you have to pay, like with the membership, if maybe you've used that service for other types of video, um, let us know as well. And we'll, uh, we'll try to find the software slash, uh, you know, content management system that best fits our needs. So, all right. Uh, with that, we will talk to you all uh, for the game preview with the exciting Boston College matchup.